This month we've been studying uh, the sending nature of our God. How he takes people, he calls them to himself. And then the next thing he does is he sends them out on mission. He, he sends them as his missionaries to the culture and to the world. And we've seen that so far. I mean, you can, you can, we could take the whole year probably and study just about every character in the Bible and do this study. And maybe that's something you might do on your own. But we've looked at Abraham. We've looked at Isaiah. We've looked at Nehemiah. Last week, we looked at Jesus himself being sent. And as we begin this week, let's begin with some of Jesus' own words as he's praying in the garden the night before he would die on the cross. Jesus says this. He says to his father, as you sent me into the world... So I have sent them into the world. And what you'll find out if you read that whole passage and you worked your way all the way through it is that when Jesus is praying, he's not praying only for his disciples, but he says, I pray also for all of those who would come to faith after them, all of those who would follow in their footsteps. So what this means is that when Jesus is praying, he's praying for you and he's praying for me, ultimately. If you read all of John 17, and so when he's praying and saying, just as I've sent, as you sent me, Father, I'm sending them. Guess what that means? That means he's sending us, that we are sent as missionaries into this world. And just as the Father sent Jesus as a missionary to us, Jesus is sending us as missionaries to our world. So with that thought, let me pray, and then we're going to look at... uh, handful of key texts here this morning. And none of this, if you've been a part of our church for any length of time, none of this this morning is going to be new. You're going to be like, Josh, I've heard you preach this sermon three or four times already, and I've only been here a year. Well, get used to it because this is who we are, right? Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus and thanks for your grace to us through him. Um, I pray this morning that you'd make clear to us, again, remind us of the mission you've given us, that you've given us through Jesus. Um, encourage us with the fact that even though we're messed up, even though we don't deserve your love, you give us your grace and you send us and you choose to use uh, broken people like me even to, to preach the word and to, um, to build your kingdom and to be a part of it. Father, as we study all these guys other than Jesus who've been sent and all the women too who've been sent in scripture, when we read and really look at their lives, we find out, They're pretty ordinary people who had a lot of problems, just like I do and just like we do. And yet, in your sovereignty, you choose to use what is weak to confound the wise. And you choose what is uh, broken to, to make things strong. And so this morning, encourage us. For those of us who feel broken and, and who know we are, uh, bind us up and encourage us that you still intend to use us in a powerful way. And uh, we trust you with that. Holy Spirit, I, I thank you. You forgive me and I pray against the enemy as servants, their works and effects. Because ultimately as we go and as we're sent, we're sent out into a battle. And it's one we don't always see, but it's one that's taking place. And uh, there is an enemy uh, of our souls who would, who would seek to accuse us and to tempt us and to drag us down. Uh, I pray you'd, you'd protect us instead. Guard us against him and his servants and their effects. Um, and instead, Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. Uh, work in the hearts of those in our community who need to know you and challenge us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just as the Father sent Jesus as a missionary to us, maybe if you're new or if you haven't been around much this month, you've never thought of Jesus as a missionary. 
You never thought of Jesus himself as a missionary. Yet that's exactly what he is. Because a missionary is someone who's sent out to accomplish a mission, right? You're, you're a missionary when you're sent out on a mission. Now, a lot of times in the church, when we think missionary, we think somebody who's really super spiritual and super mature, and they're sent halfway around the world to learn a different language and eat different food and dress differently, and that's a missionary. But the reality is, Jesus says, no, I was sent, and so you're sent. And we need to think of Jesus as the ultimate missionary. Because where did Jesus come from? How long has Jesus existed? Forever. Forever. Jesus is God. He is God. He's part of the Trinity. There is no beginning. There is no end to Jesus Christ. Now, there's a beginning to his humanity. There's a beginning to the point where he was sent as a missionary, right? Because it tells us in, in, first, in John chapter 1 that Jesus put, the word became flesh. He put on flesh. Before that time, he existed. And I believe he makes some appearances in the Old Testament. But he puts on flesh for the first time. And he comes and he lives among us. And he dwells among his people. And he lives a human life here on earth. And he comes on a mission. We're going to see this morning where Jesus prays later in this prayer. He says, I've accomplished, Father, everything you've sent me to accomplish. Which would tell, tell us what? He had a mission. Which makes him a what? A missionary. And he's the ultimate cross-cultural missionary because he comes from perfection and holiness into a really broken world. And any, anyone who's sent to accomplish a mission, ultimately they're a missionary, and Jesus was himself. And the curious thing for us this morning, because today we're looking at the sending of the church. Or you might even cross that out and write the sending of, fill in your name at the top of your bulletin this morning. Because that's, you're someone who's been sent by Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus says, as, as you sent me, Father, into the world, so I've sent them. Let's look at what does this mean to be sent? Well, if we're sent as a missionary like Jesus was, then that means we also have a what? A mission. To be a missionary, you've got to have a mission. Otherwise, you're just a tourist. Right? So you're, you're sent on a mission for Jesus. So what is that mission? That's what we want to look at today. If you've got your Bible, open up to the end of the book of Matthew. And there's a typo there on your bulletin. It says Matthew 19 through 29. You'll notice the chapter ends in verse 20. So it's, you can dream what that might have been. But it's actually just through verse 20. But we're going to start in verse 16. So if you've got your Bible, Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. The writer Matthew says this. He says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Now, what we're about to read here is, is oftentimes called, do you know what it's called? The Great Commission. Only I would say, and we'll say this again later, but I would say you, you really maybe ought to think of it not as the Great Commission, but as the Everyday Commission. Because when we think great, we think, oh, that's only for great people, like the people in the Bible, or that's only for great Christians, like a pastor or a missionary. And the reality is, there's no such thing. <laughs> there's just people who've trusted Jesus and are under his grace and those who aren't. So this is the everyday commission for all of us. And that's what he's about to give. And I'll explain to you why I think it's for all of us. Look at verse 16. He says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, 
If you know the gospel story, you know there originally were how many disciples? Twelve. Judas hung himself after betraying Jesus. But my question for you here is, do you think that it was only the 11 disciples here? Jesus is about to give the Great Commission, and the Everyday Commission, excuse me. And do you think it's only Jesus and his disciples? I don't. I think there were many more people here, and here's why I think that. There's only one time in all of Scripture that Jesus pre-announces somewhere he's going to be. Every other time he just shows up there, and he's just there, and what happens? Crowds flock to him. There's only one event where he announces, hey, I'm going to be here. And it's this one. If you look back, scroll back or or page back uh, in your Bible, look at verse 7. In verse 7 of chapter 28, again, this is after Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appearing to his followers. He, he He says to the women there, he says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. I've told you. He says this. Again, who's he say it to? He says it to the women who came to the tomb to see him. Jesus announces he's going to be on the mountain that he told them. He's going to be on a mountain. He's going to appear to everybody. And he tells it to the women. Jesus is a smart guy. He knows that the women are better at at just talking and gossiping the gospel than men are. Right? That Listen, that's not a slam on you ladies. That's just a reality that as a general rule, you're, you're better about spreading the word than guys are. Because you ask us how it's going, we're like, yeah, good. I'm fine. Thanks. How was your day? It was great. Yeah, it was good. What'd you do? Stuff. You know, I mean, that's, that's how we are. But, but ladies, you have a gift of being able to just to talk and you're more, you tend to be more relational. Not all of you, but most of you. And so Jesus shares this with the ladies. And what do you suppose they do? My guess is they're excited and they tell everybody. They start telling people, hey, Jesus, is, he's alive and he's going to appear on the mountain. Don't tell anybody. But they tell everybody. And, and people find out. And, and besides this, there were three other times in Matthew where Jesus makes a comment to the effect of, after I've risen from the dead, find me in Galilee. See me in Galilee. And he announces that he's going to make an appearance to people. So I believe when, when this happens... It's not just the 11. I think there's a whole bunch of people here. See, look, he says in verse 16, Now the 11 went to Galilee, Matthew writes, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Now, the fact that they're meeting on a mountain is an important thing too. I think that created some anticipation for him because every time you see a meeting with God on a mountain in Scripture, something big happens. There's, it's this, this, it's this special place of revelation all through the Old Testament, Mount Sinai, the the Ten Commandments are given. Um, other, other examples of Mount Car- Carmel. Other, there's examples of Jesus meeting his people on a mountain. And a mountain, only not only that, it's where Jesus called the Twelve. It's where he preached a great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, right? It, it's, it's where he, he, trans, he was, had his transfiguration and appeared in his glory before a few of the disciples. It's where he unveiled his future plans for the world. In the Old Testament, as I said, it's a place of revelation and I think this might be the place that Paul refers to when he, he says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, writing about the gospel, he says, I delivered to you as of first importance, chapter 15, 
What I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to 12, verse 6 of chapter 15, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. I think this might be the occasion where Jesus appears to the 500 people. Why? Because it's the one time he announced where he was going to be. And the other times where he didn't announce it, there were still thousands of people showed up to see him. This time he announces it. And I think there's a ton of people there. So they, and let alone the anticipation of it being on a mountain. Word spread, a crowd came, verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. I think that explains, too, the idea that some doubted. Now, we know Thomas was a disciple, and he doubted when he saw Jesus, but Jesus showed himself to him, showed him who he was. But, but I think this really accounts for the fact that there were a lot more people there than just the disciples. Some of them worshipped. Many worshipped. They fell down to worship him. But others, yeah, is that really him? It looks like him, but it's a little bit of a distance. Is it really him? I don't know. And Jesus came, to, came and said to them, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority? All. Jesus had just been crucified, died, and was buried in a tomb for three days. On the third day, he rises from death. He has the power over death, the power of life. That would tell me, yeah, he does have all authority. And he announces it right here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's a declaration of the fact, again, that he's God that he's deity, that that he is one of the Trinity. Now, if somebody tells you, hey, I've got the authority here. You ever hear that at work sometimes? No, I'm, I'm pulling rank. I have authority. This is what you have to go do. Then what do you do? You you go, you suck it up and you go do it because that's what the boss says. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to pull rank here. I've got authority. Here's what you're to do. And here's what he says to the crowd, I believe. Go, therefore, because I have authority, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, these are some of Jesus' final words on this earth. So, you know, if you're, if you're giving your final words, if you had like a day to say something to someone, you knew you were going to die, you knew you were leaving, you'd think about it for a little bit and you'd make those words important, wouldn't you? I mean, I can still remember some of, some of the last words uh, my dad spoke to me while he was in the hospital. Um, and even before that, before he got sick. I mean, I, I remember, I'll remember those probably for the rest of my life. And some of you have similar experiences and I have a feeling that the people who saw Jesus, some of them seeing him physically in this way for the last time, they would have seen him and they would have remembered these words for the rest of their lives. So when Jesus is saying this, do you suppose he's, he's thinking really quickly like, okay, I got to make this count because I know this will be preached out of like red letter. It'll be, it'll be in red in the Bible. And so I got to make sure this is good. 
Or is he thinking like, this is going to get preached at missions conferences and at colleges and at, at churches for, for the rest of time. I better not screw this up. I better say it good. Do you think he's thinking that? Maybe, but I doubt it. I think he's more thinking of the fact that here's the people who have gathered to hear him that are being sent to continue what he started. And if they're to continue what he started, then I need to, to remind them what I've done. I need to remind them what I've done and tell them to do the same. And I think what we have here is probably the shortest summation of Jesus' life in Scripture. I mean, it sums up everything he did. What did he do? Well, he went. He, he came to earth. He made disciples of all nations. There are all kinds of different people who, were, who, who became followers of him, not just the 12 disciples, but outside of that. There were Jews and Gentiles. I mean, there were a lot of people who followed him. He says to baptize them in the name of the Father. In other words, help them to identify with the Father and identify with following me like I did. Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. I've taught you, so you should teach them. And remember, behold, remember, as you do this, I'm with you the whole time. I'll be with you the whole of every moment. So Jesus reminds them of what he's done, and he tells us to go do the same. He says, you're sent to do the same thing I did, just as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And he doesn't just pray that in John 17 to the Father. He says it to his disciples in John chapter 20, verse 21. We're sent to do what Jesus did. Now, when you look at this command then, if you could see this in Greek, you'd only see one command. Do you know what it is? What's the command in this verse? Go. Okay, some people say go. What else? Do you see anything else that might be a command? What, sorry, say it out loud. Make disciples. What else? Teach, baptize. You see all these things that might be commands, but in reality, you know what the overarching command is in this verse? Most people will say go. I, I thought it was go for a long time. Do you know what it is though? It's make disciples. The command here is make disciples. Make disciples. Well, how do, I, how do you figure that, Josh? Well, literally, it's, it's make disciples who can make disciples. And that word go, it is a command, but really what it is is it's a, it's a participial phrase. It modifies the command. It modifies what we're supposed to do. And, and the translation of that is go or it could really maybe be said, as you are going, go and as you are going, make disciples. So in other words, every, every part of life, every day, it's the everyday commission, as you are going. Well, where does that include? Well, to work, to school, in my neighborhood, walking down the street, as you're going, whatever you're doing, whatever you find yourself doing, use that as an opportunity to make disciples. And there's other participial phrases in there too, to baptize them. In other words, baptism is just an identification with Jesus, right? Baptism is an, is an outward symbol, an outward sign of an inward reality. It, it identifies us outwardly with what's happened spiritually in our hearts and in our lives, having trusted Jesus. We're, we're washed by going down into the water. Our, our sin has been washed clean. And, and just as we go down, we're identifying with the fact that Jesus has died and was buried. Paul says in Galatians that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, right? 
by the flesh, but, but, but it, by, the, in the, by the faith in the Son of God who, who gave himself up for me and, and gave me his life. And, and we're, we're buried and we're risen to new life. Paul talks about walking in newness of life in Romans. And it's, it's identifying with Jesus. So we're to, as we're going, we're to make disciples. And then we're to help these people identify themselves with Jesus Christ, become Christians, and then teach them to obey, teach them to live it out. Not just to get saved and go on with life as normal, but then to, to live it out and to do the same thing. What's the big command he gives us? Make disciples. So what should we teach other people to do? Make disciples. To make disciples. To get people who follow Jesus and create more and more of those. And this is Jesus' master plan for all of time. To, to, to usher in his kingdom. But there is actually a second command or imperative in this passage. And it comes at the end. Because he tells us, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey, to obey everything I've commanded you. And he says, behold. Behold. You know what behold means? It means, hey, look up, pay attention, keep your eyes on me, is what Jesus says. I'm with you always, even to the end. I'm with you the whole time. Literally, you could translate that I'm with you in the whole of every moment. And our mission, loved ones, our mission as a church, that's why I've said you've heard me say this and teach this before, haven't you? Our mission is to make disciples. And it's really, really clear. It's really clear. Our mission, now, now that includes some other things, right? In the way that we do that. And we bring hope and restoration and redemption to our communities and to our world. But our ultimate goal is not to win the election. Our ultimate goal is not to fight this battle. Our ultimate goal is not what, it's to make disciples. It's to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. Because the world's going to keep getting darker and darker and darker, according to my understanding of Scripture. And we need to do things to shine brighter and brighter and brighter. And that starts in the hearts of people trusting Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit come and change them. Our mission is really clear. And wrapped around that is, is this promise that Jesus is going to be with us the whole time we do it. Which tells me if we're on mission, if we're doing that, if we're making disciples... The active manifest presence of God himself, of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit, is going to be with us in a unique way. Now, he's, he's everywhere all the time anyway, and he promises to be with us, right? But as we're doing what he did and, and accomplishing what he called us to accomplish, I, I think there's ample evidence in Scripture to say that he's going to be with us in a unique way to accomplish that, and in a powerful way as a church. And the thing is, we don't have to be big and we don't have to be busy to make it happen. Sometimes we think, oh, if we're going to make disciples, we've got to be this big church with all these wheels turning and all these programs for every little quadrant of people. And we don't. We just need to go and live it. That's why we pared back our programming a year ago, right? Because we don't want to have there be any hindrance on the church's part from you being able to go and as you're going, make disciples. We want you to be in a 110 group. We want you to reach out to people you love and care for in your neighborhood. We don't want you to be busy with church and forget what you're sent to do. So we're called to go and to make disciples. It's really clear. 
And we don't have to be busy. We don't have to be big to accomplish it. But there's, a, there's something that motivates us in this. That was Jesus' great commission, or I would say the everyday commission, because it's for everyone as we're going. But I think there's a motive that comes into play. Well, why would I do that? Why would I do that? Well, let's, let's read back up in Matthew to chapter 22. Chapter 22, I'm going to actually start in verse 34. This passage, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And if you read previous to this, Jesus has just silenced some of his critics because he gave an answer that was profound. And it's like, what do I say to that? He wins. (laughs) And so another group, the Pharisees come in and they see Jesus and they had heard that he had silenced him. So they got together and figured out, well, okay, we got to, we got to approach this with some strategy of how we're going to go after him and how we're going to confront him and how we might win the argument. So they gather together and they think things up and clearly what happens is they appoint a smart guy, a lawyer. And one of them, a lawyer, goes to Jesus, asks him a question. Why? To test him. They want to trap Jesus. They want to trap him so they can accuse him, so they can ultimately kill him and stop his ministry. He says, says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? In other words, which command in the law is the greatest? Which one? Which one's the greatest? Now, if you don't have any background here, what you, you may not understand is that in the Old Testament, the Pharisees have gone through, and, and you could go through too, but it totals 613 very specific commands that God gives to his people, right? 613. And so the Pharisees were notorious for keeping these rules because they believed that by, by doing the right things, they would earn God's favor. Now, there is a sense where we should live holy, right? And we ought to, and that does earn God's blessing or, 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 yeah. But it doesn't earn his favor. That's his grace. We can't do anything to please God. No one's righteous, not one. So they had it a little bit twisted, and sometimes we can do that too. But here's what they're thinking. Which one's the great one? Because we've got this list of 613. So here's what, here's what you do. I, I imagine in their meeting when they gather together, Lawyer guy, you're going to go. And if he says this one, then you can counter with this one. But if he says this one, then you can counter with these three. And if he says, no, it's this one, then maybe you could counter with like these other four. And we're going to trap him. We're going to make him say one that's most important when really they're all important. And look at what Jesus says. He, He said to him, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now, that alone would have confounded him for a second because the Jewish people would have memorized this out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and they would have posted it on their door frames and it's, it's the Shema in, in Hebrew. Shema means hear, listen, so they just called it that by the first word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they were to teach that. If you read the rest of Deuteronomy 6, they're they're to teach that and imprint that on their kids' hearts and train them in that way. So, And every every Jewish person would have known this, that that that's a priority. They would have went, oh, yeah, I guess that one. Then he says this, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says something profound in verse 40. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, if you do these two, 
you're going to wipe out the other 613. If you do these two, well, what are they? Well, the first one is love God. And I believe these are our motives to make disciples. Why would I say that? Well, because if we really love God, what are we also going to do? We're going to love others. So your two motives are love God, love others. This is the great commandment that Jesus gives. He says, do you want to know the great command? It's love God, love others. Love God, love others. And this, I believe, loved ones, this motivates us to live out the great commandment. Because if I really love God, I'm going to love what he loves, which is people. And if I really love people, I'm going to introduce them to Jesus. So if I love God, it's going to motivate me to love people. And if I love people, I'm going to be motivated to make disciples. These two things shape who we are and what we need to do as a church and how we're sent. We're sent to to fulfill the great commandment, to love God and love others, and then in doing so to fulfill the great commission, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Now, there's those two things, great commandment, great commission. Have you ever noticed some people only get one of them right? And you might be that person, and that's okay, but if you err on one side or the other, get the great commandment right. If you're only going to get one of these right, get the great commandment right. Because if you get the great commandment right, and you really love God and you really love others, chances are that first one's just going to flow out of you. If you're wondering, where do I focus? I don't know where to start making disciples. Well, start with the great commandment. Love God. Love Jesus. Love other people. And I'm telling you, it'll just start to flow out of you. Naturally. Because on the other hand, if we focus heavily on just making disciples... You can find examples of all kinds of people who are really good at making disciples and pastors who are really good at building their church, but they're not very good at loving people. And, and they create a different type of disciple. They, we, if, if we only focus on the mission and forget the motive, we create people who are just, they're very task-driven and they get it done and they accomplish it, but people just get run over, Right? So if we're going to focus on one, let's focus on loving God, loving others. Hence, you see it everywhere if you're part of our church and you hear it every week. You are loved. You're loved by Jesus and you're loved by us. And when you hear that, you should also think, I'm called to love like Jesus, loving God and loving others. Because I'm loved. That's our motive. And it's really clear. That's the command Jesus gives us. And, and the truth is, we're never really going to make disciples until we learn to love God and love others. And I don't think you can even, you're like, I, I love Jesus, but there's just some people I don't like. I can't stand them. Can't stand them. Now, there's going to be people you don't get along with, right? Because we're sinful, we're messed up, we have different personalities, we have different priorities, different things like that. And the ways that we think and the ways we're raised, we've been hurt and injured in different ways. All kinds of things go into that. But if I'm going to be like Jesus, I also need to learn to forgive. And the truth is, I don't know that I can really say I love God if I refuse to love other people. John says it like this in 1 John chapter 4. We love because he, Jesus, first loved us. And if anyone says I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen... How can he really love God whom he's never seen? 
And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So really these aren't two commands to love God and love others. It's one command, love God and love others. And all of it then gets accomplished for the glory of God. Because in in John chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus says, I glorified you, Father, on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And as I told you then, now he's sending us, the church, to do it. He's sending us to finish what he started. Because when you read through the New Testament, you read what Jesus, you, you read that and you go, Jesus says, I've accomplished what you gave me to do. And yet you get to the book of Acts and there's still people who don't know him. There's still people who are, are sick and uh, who need healing. And you go, and, and there's one example of the guy at the gate, beautiful, that there's examples of, there's, there's record of Jesus walking through this gate and this man it says in Acts, when, when Peter and John walked past him, that he had been there since birth. Like he had been paralyzed. He had been there for years. So that means Jesus must have walked past this guy. Why didn't he heal him? Well, Jesus' mission was to, to send us on mission, to create disciples who would make disciples so that we would carry it out. And there's some things left for us to do then so that we get to be a part of his story in that way. And we're sent on mission to accomplish that. And the, the, the plan that God has in place for that is to do that through his church. He does it through his church. This isn't on your outline, but you might write that down. He does it through the church. This is the sending of the church. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Verses 7 and 8 are a couple of my favorite verses in Scripture. Paul writes this. He says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He says, I don't deserve it, but Jesus has decided to let me be part of his mission, let me be part of his plan. He's given me this to accomplish. And I'm the worst of all of them. I don't know why he chose me, but he did. And he goes on, he says, and to bring to light for everyone what the plan of the mystery of mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10, here it is. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The method God has chosen to carry on what Jesus started is the church. And it's not this building, it's this people. He's chosen to accomplish this through us. We're sent to accomplish some small part of his mission. That's incredible. You ever wonder if you have purpose for your life? How about purpose given to you and mission given to you from the one who created you? To use your gifts and your abilities and all those things to make disciples, which is great. And we might hear that. We might go, yeah, awesome. I don't have a clue how to do that. How do I do that? Josh, I'm, I'm like Moses. I start talking and I stutter. Maybe my brother could do it. His name's Aaron too, right? Moses said his brother Aaron, he has Aaron sent to speak for him. No, 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 you, you can do this. You've been sent by God and you can do this. And I want to try to help you. We've, I've shared this with you before too, but I'm going to break it down into three simple steps for you, Okay of how you can start to do this making disciples. So here's what, 
I guess here's what I would say for you to do this week and this, this month, this, this fall. Focus your heart on loving God and loving others. And then, then you'll learn to love others. And then in terms of action to take, focus on these three things. Um, and we're going to call them eternal CPR. We're going to call it CPR. You know what CPR is? What's CPR? If, if I drop... If I dropped over here in a couple of seconds, which is very possible. We don't know what God has planned. If I drop over, Travis, what are you going to do? He's going to find somebody who can help me. Somebody who, <laughs> somebody hopefully who knows CPR. And they're going to come up. Thanks, I appreciate that. And they're going to come up and they're going to give CPR to me, right? And, and to, to restore, make sure I get my heart beating, get me breathing, um, get those vital signs of life going in me again, right? And you do that to somebody who is really sick or somebody who's dead and try to revive them. And so you give them CPR. And I want you to think of that towards people who don't know Jesus. That you're giving them eternal or spiritual CPR to revive them to life in Christ. That they too might be walk, risen to walk in newness of life. So here we go. I'm going to mix metaphors too, by the way. Using CPR as a metaphor, but they're also going to mix that with the fact, hey, we live in a farming community, right? Not all of us are involved in agriculture, but if you walk outside, you can't help but notice that's where God's put you. All four sides of our church surrounded by corn. But some, some farming metaphors to fill out what CPR means. So first, and we're going to go old school because this one I don't even think happens anymore, but is to cultivate. That's the C. Some of you guys who farm, you probably don't even cultivate anymore, do you? You think of it, you, you mainly just spray everything. Well, we're not going to spray people. We're going to cultivate. We're going to cultivate relationships. Okay? We're going to cultivate relationships. In other words, we're going to, and, and maybe think of it even more as plowing, like you're, you're turning the ground over. Before you plant a seed in your garden or in the field, um, generally speaking, you turn the ground over because it's hard and it's gotten kind of a crust on it over the winter and you need to soften the soil. And you want to soften the soil and then you plant the seed so that it would grow. And the first thing, if you're thinking, how do I make disciples? How do I introduce somebody to Jesus? You need to start cultivating relationships intentionally. Now you need to do it, not with the goal that I'm going to make you a disciple, but with the motive the motive that you do that is because you love them and you love God. You love them because they bear the image of God just like I do. And your motive is, is because you love them. And I'm going to cultivate this relationship with them. And I'm going to build this relationship, get to know them. And over time, the soil of their heart and their life is going to become soft. And it's going to be tilled over. Which gives me an opportunity then to do the next piece, which is to plant. To plant the gospel seed. You see this as a metaphor Jesus uses in Scripture, where the, the parable of the sower, right? And the seed is thrown out, and some of it lands on different types of soil. And you may throw the seed out, and you may have spent all kinds of time cultivating the soil of that person's life, and it may not grow. That's okay. That's not up to you to make it grow. You're just supposed to plant it. But if you really want it to grow, you want to prepare the soil so that it's good soil. So cultivate that friendship, cultivate that relationship. And then the way you start planting the seed is when you just reveal 
your faith in Christ to them. God starts coming up in everyday, everyday conversations with them. When they say, man, I got really lucky. And you just, you come back, you don't have to correct them and say, no, you weren't lucky, right? There's no such thing as luck. Don't be that person. Just be like, yeah, God really blessed you with that, didn't he? And you start planting the seed and you let the Holy Spirit work. And you do this naturally. And guess what? It takes time. It takes time. But you cultivate the relationship, you plant the seed, and then after the seed grows, those of you who have a garden or you're a farmer and you work in the field, after it grows, there comes a time where there's an ideal time to pick the fruit. Because if you let it sit there for too long, what's going to happen? It's going to rot and wither and decay and it's gone. And there's going to come a time where you recognize the fruit's ripe. It's, it's time to bring in the harvest. And then you reap what's been planted. You, you reap that harvest. And you call them then at that point, the third part, down the road after it's had time to grow. Then you call them and say, hey, you know, we've talked about this a lot. They've come to you with this problem or whatever. Have you ever just considered that, that maybe Jesus is calling him to you, calling you to him, <laughs> excuse me, and that you ought to repent and turn to him and let him save you. Let him take care of this in your life and quit trying to do it on your own and trust him for your salvation. And then you, you give them an opportunity to respond. And if they say no, okay, you keep the process going because you, you still love them. You're not done with them. And maybe the next season, there'll be a new harvest and that'll be the one. And you just keep this process going. And I guess a few questions for you and for me then is under each of these, because this is an ongoing thing at different levels with different people. Jesus even says some, some plant and some reap. Some people are going to plant the seed. Some people are going to water it. Other people are going to reap the harvest. And so there might be people in your life where this seed is being planted by others and it's already planted and you get the opportunity to bring it in. Or you may plant the seed and somebody else will get that opportunity. But in terms of cultivating, what relationships are you or maybe should you be cultivating? What, what neighbor, what, uh, what classmate, what guy who works by you? Should you be cultivating a relationship? Again, not to win them to Christ. Now, hopefully that happens, but you cultivate it because you what? What's your motive? Because you love them. Because you love God and you love them. And then the next piece, maybe you've been doing this for a while already and you have a relationship where it's time to start planting. And what relationships are you or should you be planting the truth of the gospel? Where do you plant the gospel truth and start bringing the gospel up in everyday conversation and then reaping and what relationships are you or should you be reaping a harvest? Hey, it's, it's, I've been planting for a while now. Maybe it's just time to see if they might respond. And if they don't, it's not on you. If they do praise God, if they don't, you just keep going, continue cultivating, continue planting, waiting for something to grow. Praying that God would make it grow. Now, for some of you, maybe you're here this morning visiting and you've had friends who've done this with you. They've cultivated a relationship. They've planted the gospel seed and 
Maybe today's the day where, where you need to give things over to him. And you need to make a choice to cross the line and decide, is this true or is this not true? And maybe today Jesus is working in your heart in such a way that you go, I know it's true. I know I need to respond. And I would commend to you just, it's simple, that by faith, if you would repent and turn from your way of life to his way, turn from your sin to Jesus himself, he would forgive you, he'd make you new, he'd make you one of his children, and then he would send you out on the same mission, giving your life hope and purpose. Let me pray, and then we'll close our service together. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. And um, Father, give us courage. Give me courage to, to put these things into practice more and more, to realize that just as others in the Bible were sent, we're sent, that we're sent to accomplish what, um, what Jesus started. Uh, bring to mind people that we need to cultivate friendships and relationships with, people that we need to plant the truth of the gospel with, and people that we need to reap a harvest with. We trust you for all of this, and uh, I pray then too for those, Father, who might even trust you today, that they would, and that they too then could be sent in this manner. We love you. Thanks for Jesus. We pray all this through him. Amen.